This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plant, it's time to hemp present. Our radio resident hempo sapien Vivian McPeak will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to hemp present about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Friends, I am Vivian McPeak, and this is the Hemp Present Resistance. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest. Speaking flower to power for 29 years and going virtual this year at onlinehempfest.org. I am also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest, found at hempfest.org. This show is a weekly read for Radio Rebellion, where I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for HempResent, email me at HempResent at gmail.com. Today's guest on HempResent is Ingrid Joya Warwick, Juris Doctor. Ingrid is a native of Chicago but has lived in Arizona for the past 20 years. Despite the challenges that are inherent in operating in a state with a lack of any significant diversity and a well-publicized general animus towards the cannabis industry, Ingrid has coupled her legal background with her entrepreneurial experience to carve out a niche in the green rush. An attorney by education and a former national board member of the National Cannabis Industry Association, Ingrid has worked with women and minority entrepreneurs for the past decade to help them identify where their skills are best suited to capitalize on the highly profitable cannabis industry. Ingrid Joya Warwick is the co-author of Being Black or Brown in the Green Rush, a practical guide for women and people of color to make money in the legal cannabis industry with her co-author, Yuri Downing. And she has joined me today to talk about her book and her work. Welcome, Ingrid, to Cannabis Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Vivian. We certainly appreciate it. My pleasure. Let's just begin with how and when you were personally introduced to cannabis. Did your relationship with cannabis begin culturally as a user, or did you initially come in contact with cannabis through the industry or some other way? Well, I went to college in the 70s, 80s, so of course, and I went to college in the Virgin Islands. So needless to say, we had a lot of Jamaican classmates uh, who would allow us to share in cannabis. It was actually the first time that I had ever tried it uh, and enjoyed it. It was never something that was a major part of my life. I preferred to have a glass of wine, uh, but it, I was never opposed to it. So that's really how I got involved in it early in college. Uh, then came to Arizona and worked as a business consultant. And my cousin, who's a physician here, uh, 
introduced me to the cannabis initiative and I didn't even realize it had passed here. I was like, my goodness, cannabis passed in Arizona. I was shocked. And that was back in 2010. So it's been a while, but uh, definitely took to it and was excited about it. And my skill set between my education as well as business experience linked itself very well to the industry. Your book, Being Black or Brown in the Green Rush, is pretty much a how-to guide uh, for people of color, uh, for anybody really, wishing to be successful in the cannabis industry. Why did you feel it was important to write this particular book at this time? When I first got into the industry, I did not realize the lack of involvement of minorities in the industry. Certainly, there weren't very many women. And if you wanted to find people who looked like myself or looked like Yuri, we were sitting in jail for the very things that people were getting awards for and were becoming exceptionally wealthy. And I found that people would give you just bits and pieces of information. Of course, you had the advocates that started out in the industry of just you as a user and got involved in the industry. And then you had business people who were coming in. But we were really bypassing minorities and women in the industry. And I took exception to that. And I thought it was very, very important for me to get involved and then to definitely work with and help younger people and uh, people of color who wanted to get in. Ingrid, while white Americans have the same general rate of usage of cannabis as communities of color do, people of color and just specifically black men have been historically disproportionately incarcerated, you know, targeted, profiled, uh, imprisoned for cannabis use. How important do you think it is to have racial equity components built into the cannabis industry? And do you feel that these communities most impacted by prohibition should have some sort of prioritized access in terms of employment, managerial, and ownership opportunities within the cannabis industry? Because they've been, they've been impacted the most by it. Absolutely. What is of paramount importance, and I've been screaming this for the past decade, is that minorities have a seat at the table. We have to not only have a seat at the table, but there has to be food still at the table when it's time to eat. So it's extremely important, and it's extremely important that minorities collectively are able to get into the industry. If you look at the barriers, one of which is uh, incarceration and being involved and caught up, and it's so easy in these cases to get caught up on the criminal side of this industry, Uh, it's very, very important that uh, minorities that are seven times more likely to be arrested, not seven times greater usage, but seven times more likely to be arrested uh, for, for illegal possession or distribution of cannabis. So it's extremely important that we get involved. And there's a lot of prejudice within the colors, uh, in, within the communities of color uh, for older people, particularly because there's animus towards the plant itself, not truly understanding it. So I think there's work to do within the community, but absolutely within these laws that are being written, they have to incorporate and provide an entry point where people of color can get involved. Michelle Alexander, in her book, The New Jim Crow, talks about the large percentage of Americans of color who've been, in her words, branded a drug felon and how that creates tremendous obstacles in gaining employment just in, in you know, mainstream industry and mainstream jobs. 
Can you talk about how it might be an issue uh, where someone has got a drug felony on their record, how that might prevent someone from being employed in or obtaining a license to operate a cannabis business in some states? Uh, have you encountered that? Absolutely. And that's why you're looking at states like Illinois, by example, which is my home, where they incorporated part and parcel of the program of the law was that a very significant expungement program so that over 750,000 felonies will be expunged from people who previously heretofore wouldn't be able to be in the industry. You compare and contrast that with a state like Arizona, where I currently live, that virtually has no component of social equity in its upcoming uh, legalization adult use program. So it's important that we put our money where our mouth is, that we offer not only involvement in the industry, but expungement so that people not working in the industry, there are tremendous opportunities in the hemp industry, in the CBD. Uh, there's so much opportunity in this industry that we have to right the wrongs because it just simply is unfair and impractical to suggest that by the doors are open, everybody come in when you have this historical uh, literally noose around their necks of not being able to come into the industry. So Michelle Alexander is absolutely right uh, that that has to definitely change. Uh, private prisons is a major problem. When you incentivize companies to lock up low-level nonviolent drug offenders and they are they generate the most revenue that creates an incentive and really a barrier that is going that gives an incentive for police officers to arrest people like that and then they are precluded from being in the industry uh i have i'm on social media and you know my facebook account is always at 5000 at the limit of, of friends uh, almost purely, uh, I'd say 90% of my Facebook friends are in the cannabis industry or culture of some, in some form. And I have to say that when the, uh, the last presidential uh, cycle started, the campaign cycle, and then now also heightened with the Black Lives Matter movement, I've been actually a little bit shocked. I had misconception. Mis I had some some ideas about the cannabis culture that were a little bit wrong in the industry, because I was surprised to see uh, an, um, a surprising amount of views that I would say border on racism um, from a, a minority of people in in my friends list, but but enough that I was really concerned. Um, we know there's the grass the glass ceiling in in uh, corporate industry where women. Have trouble rising beyond a certain level because it's mostly you know white men that are in control or that's changing uh, but that's kind of been historically true um do, do you i mean we have to admit i guess that that racism could be a factor for people of color um rising up in the cannabis industry as well absolutely and i think people are under the uh preconception that unless someone is calling you the n-word then they don't have these racial proclivities. And that's simply not true. And you see it certainly in other areas. But where it becomes so offensive in the cannabis industry is that black and brown people are the ones who have paid the highest price 
for us to even be where we are today. And now what really irks me the most is everybody now is a person of color. So you've got the East Indians person of color and the Chaldeans are person of color and the South Koreans are the persons of color. But those aren't the people who have been sitting in prison for the past 20, 30 years because of cannabis. So I am very, very clear that when I say social equity, I mean black and brown people. And so I mean blacks, I mean Hispanics, because we are the ones who have paid the highest price. And what happens is you find these larger groups, they will, uh, uh, let's just suggest uh, Massachusetts, there's a situation where there have been so many delays that the blacks that were awarded licenses under their social equity program began uh, running out of money. And then you had COVID come on. So there were even further delays and further financial restraints. And so then the big guy comes along and says, look, I can help you. I'll provide the money for you. You'll be the front. And before you know it, they don't have a business. And then it becomes, well, sue us. Well, who wants to sue some multi-billion dollar conglomerate and get get involved in litigation? So we've got to be smart. We've got to be astute. We've got to learn. And it's no longer just about, oh, I'm, I've smoked weed in college, so I know how to run the business. We, we really have to become more sophisticated than that. And we can do it. But that's important because the racism is there, no question about it. My guest is Ingrid Joya Warwick, and we are going to take our first break. Don't go anywhere. We're going to come back with a second segment. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top 10 song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. And we're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really one toke over the line. And I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. (laughs) They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. 
SmartPots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, SmartPots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? SmartPots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million SmartPots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back on Hemp Present with Ingrid Joya Warwick, the author, the co-author of Black or Brown in the Green Rush. Um, Ingrid, I love the way that you put your book together in concise, easy to read, almost bullet point sections by topic. Uh, You really appear to cover all of the bases, starting with the history of prohibition, the growth of the industry, and then diving really deep into an analysis of the job market, of all the various positions. Um, Do you see your book as a how-to manual? for breaking into a career in cannabis? Absolutely. When Yuri and I started working on the book, it was really one of those things that I needed and I looked for when I was in the industry. I was certainly educated. I was certainly experienced in business, but I knew nothing about cannabis as a business. So by example, I remember calling the bank and I was so excited because we were going to have this account and they were going to pick up our money and we were going to have these uh, armored cars and I had this sophisticated security system. And next thing I know, I'm getting no callbacks for appointments because though I didn't realize that because of the illegality at federal levels, the banks were not interested in holding our money. So those are the kinds of things that were just practical how-to that if I'd read a book and taken a few hours to read a book, I would have known and pitfalls that I could have avoided. So that was really the reason for it, really to, to help people that come after me to be able to see you don't have to fall into those pitfalls. Be smart. We've always, as a people, been industrious. Women will be there when the last light is turned off. So we'll work hard, but it's important that we understand the nuances of the industry, particularly because of the illegality under federal law, even though it may be legal under state law. Yeah, I mean, that's that's still a big problem until we can change the federal designation of cannabis. Um, you know, companies can't have the, the same uh, deductions uh, for overhead expenses uh, that other businesses have, and some have to operate in cash. Uh, you know, credit, all of it is just really a, a big challenge, but there are workarounds and you really approach that in your book. Um, you collabor- collaborated on this book with your Aquino Downing. How did you approach the collaborative process? Did you chart out in advance which topics you each would address or did you use a more organic method? We did. Both of us had heard of ourselves in the industry. Yuri was pretty much an icon in the local industry because he was the first person who had made any real money in the industry. I followed shortly thereafter, but he had been very successful with the dispensaries that in the end, I think they owned six or seven of them uh, before he he was out of the uh, out of that 
particular endeavor. So we had heard of one another. There are not many black women walking around Arizona with the name of Ingrid. So he had heard of me as well. And so we met, uh, we uh, hit it off right away, and we began to say, Every time something would happen, we would say, gosh, somebody needs to know about that or somebody needs to uh, know what, how to handle that. So that's how we uh, collaborated. And then we just began to put his experiences, uh, to share my experiences and to pull those together of, because it wasn't a, the book isn't about us. It's about our experiences to help the reader to jump over those hurdles and to move forward. And that was very, very important to us. I uh, spoke not too long ago at a cannabis conference in, uh, in Arizona, um, in Phoenix, and I was really impressed with the, the, this, the vibrancy of the medical marijuana scene that was going on there uh, when I was there. Uh, I mean, it's a wonderful state. Um, and and it is does say a lot that Arizona of all states, um, which is a red state, uh, I believe uh, that that we've even made inroads there with legalization, uh, with with you know medical marijuana and stuff. Uh, it's it's really significant. Are you hopeful that we'll see um, some significant national reforms uh, at some point soon? Because that's really going to change the industry, don't you think? For sure. I see windows of opportunity. I look at it a little bit differently. I see a window of opportunity of while we're in this flux of uh, states legalizing or having adult use programs and the federal government still keeping it as a Schedule One. I think there's a window because once those two reconcile each other, then you've got the large... the big boys. You've got the tobacco companies. They're already buying up land in Northern uh, California, and they'll be doing even more of it now with the fires, et cetera. So they buy up huge amounts of acreage there. There's going to be, you've already got Constellation brands in Canada. So there's, there's, there's really a window here of a few years. I think as long as the feds do not come down. So I was very happy to see Jeff Sessions gone, uh, who this was kind of his pet project, uh, animus towards the industry. Um, Biden isn't 100% on board, but I think that the people around him will educate him and help him to move forward. And I don't expect any federal intervention. So I don't think we'll have those headwinds. So I think there are windows of opportunity, particularly when you're in states that are receptive to it. So you can see when you have a state like Illinois, where Governor Pritzker is very receptive to it, versus a state like Arizona, which, yes, there is a vibrant program now, but 10 years ago, the governor literally stopped the program dead in its tracks seven days before applications were to be submitted. So you had people that were paying rent on empty buildings and getting use permits and doing a lot of the things that were necessary who literally went bankrupt because they ran out of money. So I think when you've got a state that is receptive, they do like the dollars, they do like the tax revenues. In some of these states, it's really what has kept them afloat during COVID. So it's really contributed, like in Illinois, heavily to the coffers uh, because it was deemed an essential service. And that's the irony of it all, Vivian, is that (laughs) you still have black people sitting in prison 
for violating a law that has been deemed an industry that has, is an essential service. That has to be fixed. I mean, the irony is and tragic. It, it's, a, it's criminal, you know, that there's still people in jails and prisons uh, languishing with murderers and rapists and thieves for things that people are in other areas are making money at right now legally, oh, arguably legally. Absolutely. I mean, it's outrageous. And it you know, is. It is. And and I, you know, I want to say that that you're talking about the opportunities right now before it's federally legal and the big uh, corporations get involved. If you have an established brand now, once legalization happens. Uh, that that brand's going to be worth a lot of money to these big corporate entities that want to consolidate and buy up businesses that are already established. Would you agree? Absolutely. I encourage any of the people that I work with, and I work with a lot of young women, uh, people of color, and as a mentor-mentee relationship, and I tell them, establish a brand, create a brand, uh, focus on that brand. I don't care what competition is in the industry, because when the big boys do come in, it's much easier for them to buy a brand than to start from scratch. So if you establish those brands and you put a story behind it and you really promote the brand, then you really can get a piece of the pie. Because you get in, you've got to have an exit strategy. Because if you don't, then you're kind of stuck. The big guys come in, as has been happening with Curaleaf and Harvest and a lot of those people uh, that just have come in and eaten up a lot of the smaller companies. And that's what you have to do. You, it's all about branding right now, for sure. Uh, we have a little under a minute before the next break. Your book is so comprehensive. There's reference data all throughout the content. Um, in addition to describing the greater industry, there's all kinds of general business advice. Uh, you break down every conceivable position someone could have related to the industry. What kind of research did you do in the book? We have about 30 seconds. About a year, a year and a half of really researching, of course, with the farm bill that changed a lot of things because that brought in hemp and CBD. So we had to modify that. And then, of course, you had certain states, once again, like Illinois, that really upped its game with the social equity. So this industry is constantly changing. Very fluid. My guest is Ingrid Joy Warwick, the author of the co-author, excuse me, of Being Black or Brown in the Green Rush. We're going to take another break. Come back with our final questions. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Let me welcome Nick Hexum from 311. We've never heard things like your music when it first came out. It's like to mix the reggae with the punk and all of that together was just such an unusual sound and, and we loved it. We realized we're not going to copy what's on the radio. At the time, it was all grunge at what that was on the radio. And I said, let's just stick to what we know and wait for a culture to come around to us. Hey, it's Nick Hexum from 311, and you're listening to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina on CannabisRadio.com. Now 
let the marijuana llama tell you something now about a game for your phone gonna make you say wow the game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash grow the seeds sell the bud put the savings in the stash little by little your empire grows large put the big celebrities inside your entourage you can choose to play with snoop or me or chich and chong cypress hill willie nelson with khalifa with a bong the name of the game is him being that's the point download and play while you like yourself a joint The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back to the final segment with Ingrid Joya Warwick. Um, I want to say that I think anyone, regardless of their gender or skin tone, would benefit from reading your book if they're considering entering the cannabis industry. It's just such a really comprehensive uh, book. It's just it's really one of the best books I've seen on this subject. Um, while we still have a couple minutes left, is there anything that you would like to leave our readers with um, or add that we haven't already covered? Well, I want them to say, no, that this industry is a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to establish a career. It's a great opportunity to be at the forefront of doing something that matters. It's a great opportunity to try to right some of the wrongs that have occurred of decades of decades of blacks and brown people and women of really being overlooked in the industry. Uh, realize that uh, California is an industry that is almost 50 years old in terms of having a cannabis, a legal cannabis industry. So there's opportunity. There's ways for you to not have to put your hands on the fire and get burned. And that was the reason that we wrote the book. Uh, and it's not just as a license holder. There are lots of ancillary businesses that we cover in the book that you can be in, that you can participate in. Uh, they've had a company that ran a packaging company. A couple of guys started about seven or eight years ago, was bought by a company that went public, and those guys are now multimillionaires, and they never touched the plant. So you've got PR firms, you have real estate companies. So there's something that you can find, and if you overlay your expertise over the fast growth of the industry, you really can have success. I tell people often that you just got to be on the dock to get some of that water in the green rush. They can just get wet on the sidelines, uh, but you got to get there and you've got to learn the skills going to one of the schools, Cannabis Career Institute, which was the gentleman, Bob Calkin, who was my mentor, or Oaksterdam University, or one of the universities that are available to get the training, attend meetings. Part of the section we have is where to go. And once we get our lives back after COVID, the conferences will be running steady. 
what you do is you bring limited resources because usually it's many times where we don't have the money. But what my family and myself did in the Illinois market was we pulled our resources together. And as a result, we were able to submit 60 applications collectively uh, in their upcoming cannabis uh, industry that's, that's just developing. So there's so much opportunity. There's so many things that somebody can do. And rather than focus on, oh, it's too hard or, oh, this is too difficult, we need to focus on collaborating, bringing our skills and our skill set together to be able to really participate. But it's an exciting industry. It is really opportunity. Ingrid Joya Warwick, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate the advanced copy of your wonderful book. You take care. Thank you so much. Now I want to get to weekly feature Hembers on CannabisRadio.com. That's the quote of the week. I came to see that mass incarceration in the United States had, in fact, emerged as a stunningly comprehensive and well-disguised system of racialized social control that functions in a manner strikingly similar to the to Jim Crow. That is Michelle Alexander as well from the new Jim Crow. That concludes this installment of Hembers on Cannabis Radio. I want to thank Brasco, my man in the control room, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more reefer repartee and cannabis confabulation with some special hempo sapien on a journey to justice as we silence the violence, increase the peace, and promote unity in the cannabis community with impunity. Because when it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. Until then, my friends, stay strong, stand tall, and took it easy. The Hempersent theme song, Take Back the Plants, performed by Stickerbush. Turn up the music, because I am out. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big-